So she's on the ship and it explodes. <laughs> Part of it does, at least. You're just barely holding it together. Yeah, it's not a, not a good place. <laughs> you gotta beat that cold, you know? Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James! So, let me just tell you where I'm at right now. Uh, I'm getting sick. I'm, well, I I am sick. And I've got this terrible sore throat. Uh, I've been nauseous literally all day. Oh, Christ. And I've pumped my body full of Dayquil, just... Bottles. Oh, oh wait, that's not Dayquil, that's Jack Daniels. <laughs> but the rest I, is true. All right. I mean, you can combine them if you want to hurt yourself. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's what I call a bad decision. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters and the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? Mm-hmm. We have Violet Jessup and B.S. Lewis. <laughs> I'm sorry, Violent Jessup? Yeah. It's like a killer street name. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'm pretty much ready. Do you want to go down to the history lab? No. (laughs) What do you want to do then? Fuck, I don't know. More Jack Daniels? I mean, you're killing me here, man. I'm already three bottles deep. Okay, well, let's just... I got more downstairs if you want to go. I okay, mean, fair enough. Okay, all right. <laughs> one man, one woman, a universe of adventure. One, a famous author and atheist turned Christian. The other, a woman who looked at Poseidon and said, No. C.S. Lewis and Violet Jessup, two people who probably liked all of the woodland creatures. So, James, mm-hmm. tell me, mm. if you had to pick Hold one thing... Hold up. What? Someone's been in here. What? Here? In the history lab? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can smell the avocado they had for lunch. Fuck. That must mean some millennial hipster bitch has been down here. Don't, don't be hasty. I'm detecting not only avocado, but... Oh my god. What? I, I smell... I smell books! Okay, well, maybe some librarian came for a visit, got lost on his way to the pub to get trashed. I mean, (laughs) you don't understand. Everybody knows librarians don't eat avocados. Oh, right. Aaron, Aaron, I suspect none other than Lord History has been down here meddling about. You mean that character we basically wrote out of the show because... Yes, yes, God. Oh, 
Okay. There's only one thing to do. Make a milkshake out of fish sticks? No! Then what? Just carry on with the show as normal. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> computer, bring up... Me, I'm Shrivel. Uh, what the what? We are the Legion. The demon expelled by Christ himself. At last, we have taken on a new host. And we will exact our revenge. It took you two thousand years? James, please don't piss it off. <laughs> you made it angry! Computer, please bring up Aaron C. and James D. Affirmative, my lord. Is that a threat, you old box? Turn left at the next intersection. You broke it! Follow signs for imminent death. I, I think I know what this is. This isn't just one demon possession. It's an actual legion of demons inside the computer. Oh no! There's only one thing left to do. No! Computer is our friend! That's not our friend anymore, Aaron. Bullshit! He's still in there somewhere. We have to give him a chance. Just turn him off and turn him back on again. That might work. Do you know Dewey? Alright, shoot him. Yep. Oh, well, that was tragic. What are we gonna do without our computer? If you thought a shotgun could kill me, you're so wrong, you bloody wanker. Jesus God, it's still alive! Shit! That was my last shotgun shell! Well, what do we do now? You have failed. Now, surrender. Oh, no! Wait, wait a second. What? We're so stupid for forgetting. The solution is, it's just obvious. Pickles, get in here. Meow! Pickles is literally Satan's right-hand man. Legion, you, you have to do everything he says. No. Meow. He was just a bloody cat. How can he possibly tell me what to do? Why is he staring at me like that? Meow. Make him stop. Make him stop. Meow. All right. All right. I'll do it. Thanks, Pickles. Meow. All right. Well, shall we get this show on the road? You bet! Computer, please bring up C.S. Lewis and Violet Jessup. Affirmative, my lord. Okay, so, Fucking hell. So, Aaron. Yes. Tell me, what is C.S. Lewis best known for? C.S. Lewis is best known for inventing Christianity and defeating atheism once and for all. Oh, oh, great. <laughs> God, we, glad we got that finally cleared up. Okay, Yeah. so yeah. what did this dude look like? C.S. Lewis looks like he heard you just saying the dumbest shit he's ever heard. So and he's about. Podcast? Yeah, right. Oh, okay. And he's also about to school your atheist ass right into the Christian faith. Mm. He's bald, bleary-eyed, with ears that would impress even my grandfather. Mm. C.S. Lewis stands at a whopping 13 feet tall with rippling Jesus. muscles bursting from his tweed jacket. Atheists beware. Holy shit. <laughs> so Get what Dawkins is... on the line. We're going to clear this up. Oh, God. Can you imagine, like, a 13-foot-tall Dawkins versus a 13-foot-tall C.S. Lewis? It would be too much British for even the island. You know, I'm not wearing pants now, and now... Oof. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so what was, what was Violet Jessup best known for? She, uh, Violet, Je Violet Constance Jessup is best known for punching Poseidon in the face. Shit. 
Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means, but okay. Well, it's violent. And what what did this uh, violent Jessup? Yes, what did this violent Jessup look like? Well, she's just stunning. Oh just shit! Gorgeous. Uh, I think she was of Irish and Argentinian descent, although she may have just lived in Argentina. I don't know. Either way, she's stunning. She has long, beautiful hair, piercing eyes, and um, she was so beautiful that she was forced to dress in a way that made her less beautiful. Saving it for the Lord, James. That's right. That's, That's right. right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what do you say we move into C.S. Lewis's early life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. B.S. Lewis and the purity ring lady. Let's, <laughs> let's get this on. <laughs> okay, so Clive Staples Lewis... Uh, was born dead-ass drunk and high in Ireland. Was he the mascot for the Staples store? Uh, what is their mascot? It's the I'm, easy button, right? What is C.S. Lewis? Yeah, it's the easy button. <laughs> oh, okay. That was easy. His father was Albert James Lewis, a mm. lawyer, and his mother was Florence Augusta Lewis. Uh, and he had one older brother, Warren Hamilton Lewis, and these two were, like, best friends their whole life. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Now, C.S. Lewis is a man of many names, including the name Jack. Oh. And he got this name because when he was four, he saw his own dog named Jaxy get hit by a car. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. After which he announced that he was now called Jaxy, implying that C.S. Lewis might have been possessed by the spirit of a dead dog. Yeah, it just jumped right over. That, that makes sense. Yeah, and so, like, after this, for the rest of his life, most of the people who knew him in person called him Jack. He just yeah. went by Jack. Yeah. But we know him as Clive Staples because we know him as Clive Staples. <laughs> <laughs> so, as a kid, Lewis became kind of a fucking fury. Or furry? Fury. <laughs> he became a furry. <laughs> now, there's like, not a huge difference between the two, but I want to make sure it's, it's yeah. furry. <laughs> but he was, like, furry light, okay? Oh, sure. Sure. Yes. So he read a lot of Beatrix Potter books, ah, which in yeah. case you didn't know, often or always featured, not sure which, anthropomorphic characters. Mm. Uh, and his mm. brother loved the anthro shit, too. Uh, so <laughs> they decided they were going to build their own imaginary furry world together, which is great, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I liked sure. Redwall as a kid. Does that make me a furry? <laughs> yeah, I mean... <laughs> oh, shit. Okay, fine. I mean, whatever. It Just really own it. It really does. Just... Anyway, so they create this imaginary furry world, uh, and they name it Boxen. Uh, and they don't just, like, tell stories of, like, adventurous little mice who left the abbey. They, like, write about the world's economics, politics, <laughs> history, and fucking okay. architecture. <laughs> I guess that's kind of cool. So they're, they're really nerdy furries. Yeah, they're world builders. They were the, they were the game developers, y you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. prior this to game developers. Minecraft before they Minecraft. Actually, yeah, they actually did release uh, a book of some of the stuff they invented, just called Boxin, and it's it's just like a story bible, basically. Huh. Um, which is, I mean, whatever. They, they were kids doing this. That's pretty. I mean, I don't know. It's anyway. It's something. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, Clive Staples or Jaxie was also super into reading, okay. and from a young age just devoured literature like you devour like Terrari. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and obviously this meant he needed tutoring and schooling because you know your kid's reading yeah if the kid can read in like what what is this 1745 or something yeah if this he can like, read then he needs to be schooled this is like the 1910s or that's what i said 
in the 19... Yeah. 8, 19, yeah, okay, whatever. Uh, so yeah, they wanted to get him uh, tutoring and schooling, so that's what his parents did for him. Mm-hmm. They got him a private tutor, and things just go great. Mm. Uh, until C.S. Lewis turns 9. Okay. This is the year of his life that would be marked by the tragedy of his mother's death due to cancer. I'm, uh, I'm sorry, but did he take her name too after No, seeing... he didn't <laughs> oh, <okay>. take her <laughs> okay. name. I had Jesus. <laughs> so insensitive. Oh, well, shit. I mean... Okay, sorry. My, the background of my computer is just a prairie dog staring directly into a fisheye lens. And it's adorable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I just accidentally minimized my window, and there it was. So I was staring at a prairie dog. Yeah, you're making fun of furries. Okay, so... <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah. His mom, mom, his mom is, has tragically passed away. Mm. And Dad, being in poor shape and not at all in the mood for dealing with this shit, sends the boys off to a boarding school, oh, like you do, no. where, on cue, a tyrannical and literally <laughs> surifiably insane headmaster tormented the students on the reg. Hmm. And I do mean literally certifi- certifiably insane. After C.S. Lewis left, he was, like, committed. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, also, there was while he was there, there was mandatory church attendance. Oh, good. Um, because nothing gets the kid into religion quite like boring them to death, tormenting them, and then forcing them to go to church every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. But this school eventually closed down because it was so bad no one else was sending their kids anymore. Um, like the the flow of children stopped yeah the the demand for schools run by crazy bullies Mm -hmm. it's not very not in demand well the 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 headmaster actually had a nickname uh and it was oldie which might tell you something about his fitness for office Yeah. Uh, so then Lewis went to Campbell College and then later moved to another school known as Cherbourg House. Okay. Uh, and during this time, he's praying for things like a good little Christian boy. Mm-hmm. But then he starts to notice, get this, he begins to notice that his prayers aren't being answered. Hmm. And the ones that are are being answered not quite the way he wants them to be. Interesting. And he's also starting to think that maybe he's to blame. Oh, God. Oh. Yeah. He's going, am I good enough well, for that's God good. to listen? Yeah. yeah. No, it, it's it's healthy. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> he's also wondering if he's really he really means what he's saying to God. Is God really listening? You know, is, mm. oh, my God, there's that fucking prairie dog again. Uh, <laughs> so in the midst of all this suffering, the death of his mom, the distance of his father, shitty boarding schools where he's literally being shoved into coal cellars by bullies. Jesus. C.S. Lewis starts to wonder where the fuck God is. <laughs> Good, fair, fair, yeah. Yeah, I mean, okay, his his uh, autobiography, Surprised by Joy, like, the shit that went on in these schools, like, I, I'd be an atheist day one, I wouldn't blame fucking anybody for that shit. Yeah, well, and if you're into furry stuff, the big mm-hmm. question really is, where is God? Yeah. That, <laughs> that's just where it leads to. <laughs> So anyway, this is the point in the story where Lewis finally decided to go full neckbeard and started calling himself an atheist. Ooh, okay. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Not so even the agnostic stage. Just... No, he went straight up atheist. He was like, fuck this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, however, atheist as he may be, uh, Lewis is still super interested in mythology and mm. the occult. And he nice. reads all about ancient myths, particularly Nordic myths. Sure. 
Um, he reads about Scandinavian and Icelandic sagas and legends and eventually writes his own Nordic epic. Oh, God. Okay. Like, he's still a kid, all right? <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't type properly in Minecraft. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, he also starts studying ancient languages with a guy named William T. Kirkpatrick. Oh. Uh, who happened to be his old dad's former tutor. Mm. This man, uh, known to Lewis as the Great Knock. I have no idea where that came from. Well, let's, uh, let's dive into that. Uh, no. <laughs> Christ almighty, no. <laughs> All right, fair. Well, okay, so the Great Knock gave him a bunch <laughs> of great reasons to get interested in Greek mythology as well, not just <gasps> Nordic mythology. And he was also known for being a pretty strict but very good teacher, because C.S. Lewis seemed to really admire him. Uh, well, anyway. he's a step up from an insane man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> an insane man be who good. beats you with sticks and allows you to be thrown into a coal cellar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so in 1916, Lewis is awarded a scholarship to none other than Oxford, mm. Mm. which is great. Uh, so he goes, and finally it seems like things are going to be all right. He really, really loves the university life. Studying in the nice. great halls of one of the finest and oldest schools in the world, it's a world made for the likes of him. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And after, like, suffering through, you know, shitty school, being at, like, one of the best must have been, like, going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's offensive. It's... That doesn't exist. Uh, this, he's still an atheist, right? Oh, right, yes, he's an atheist. So he, it would be like going to... What do atheists like to go to? The furry conventions. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, we're going to get, like, really harped. We're going to get some person who's like, I was going to become a patron, and then, you know, you were making fun of furries, and then yeah. we're just fucked. <laughs> and I lost my foxtail today, and then you insulted me. So it's been a shitty day, and <laughs> I'm keeping my money, assholes. So, uh, did you notice that I said it was 1916? Mm. We seem to have passed a fairly significant <laughs> event. <laughs> yes, the turning so, of the century. So, uh, yeah, World War I was happening. Oh, good times. And C.S. Lewis knew the draft was coming mm. since he had only recently come of age. Oh, no. <laughs> so he gets smart and he just, he like joins up with the officer's training corps mm. um, because if he's going to go to war, he might as well be an officer, right? Sure, sure. Like, understood. And he can do it since he's a, since he's going to college or whatever. Right. So in the November of 1917, Lewis was actually plucked right out of Oxford and sent to training. Mm. And uh, C.S. Lewis ended up sharing a room in the barracks with a guy named Edward Courtney Francis Paddy Moore. He just went by Paddy. <laughs> like you yeah. do when you have a name that's as long as Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> so they became friends and made a pact. Uh, and if either one of them were to die during the war, the survivor would care for the family of the dead one. Nice. Yeah. The problem with World War One is your odds really are worse than 50-50. Yeah, they really are. <laughs> you need a few more people in this pact. Yeah, a couple more. Uh, anyway, so they ended up being shipped to France to fight the Germans. Sure. And where do they go in France? Oh, you know, the front lines of the Somme. <laughs> Mm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it hurts already. Mm. Uh, so here's C.S. Lewis experiences the horrors of trench warfare. 
Which are often overrated, let's be I honest. I mean, <laughs> it's that thing where you wait around until the officer yells for you to charge into the lines of the waiting enemy, thousands of rounds whistling across dead fields and through a thicket of barbed wire and rotting corpses. You know, that thing where if you do happen to not get shot to absolute bacon bits, you have to jump into a trench filled with angry guys, armed with bayonets and entrenching tools, clubs, all kinds of shit, and try to kill these men surrounding you with your bare goddamned hands. Yes, that thing where gas could just float across the wastes and suffocate you and burn your damn eyes right out of your head. That thing where violent death is a daily experience. Yes, that thing. I'm still this stuck further... on this, uh, this furry thing. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just horrifying. Well, I mean, think about it. Think about all that shit happening. And guess what happens? This further entrenches C.S. Lewis in his atheistic views. <laughs> and honestly, how the hell could it not? Sure, fair point, yeah. Uh, and on top of it, his friend Patty Moore was killed on the line. No, not Patty. I know, fucking Patty had to Oh, did die. not have the luck of the Irish with him. No, had the luck not. of the Germans. <laughs> Yeah, what? It's a bullet. <laughs> it's a bullet to the brain. That's the luck of the Germans? Yeah. Wow. Okay. That's so, why we don't talk about it. Because Patty Moore is dead, uh, C.S. <laughs> Lewis has to honor his side of the agreement, which right. he does. Good. Uh, C.S. Lewis was also wounded by an artillery shell from his own team that hit him <laughs> and obliterated two of his colleagues from Oxford. Oh. And he was just wounded. I don't, I'm not exactly sure how bad Ooh. it was. He doesn't even say in his autobiography. Um, hmm. Anyway, so he was promptly sent to the hospital to be pieced back together, where, get this, he was depressed and homesick. <laughs> Fucking wimp. <laughs> so after this, he was assigned to basically keep watch in Andover, England, hmm. uh, but was soon demobilized and sent back to Oxford. Okay. And then Lewis goes to meet with Patty's family. And uh, ended up becoming really good friends with Patty's mother, Jane King Moore, who was 45 when Lewis was 18. Oh no! <laughs> uh, what? Why are you giving their AIDS? Their uh, AIDS? <laughs> their AIDS? <laughs> their age? You'll find out. I've had three, uh, three cups of Jack Daniels. So, okay. I don't yeah, even know if you're joking. AIDS is a crisis. Let's just be honest. You're right. Okay, so Jane Moore was actually... The reason they became really good friends was she was the only one who actually visited Lewis when he was recovering in the hospital. Oh. Something that C.S. Lewis's own father didn't do. Yeah, he's a wimp. Yeah. So <laughs> the two end up forming a very close relationship, mm. and it has been speculated that it was sexual as well. Sure. But outside of, like, one guy's opinion, there's virtually no proof. <laughs> Um, well, who's this guy we're talking about? He's a guy. He was a guy who was friends with C.S. Lewis for 29 years. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's not nothing. Don't no, get me he's wrong. Got it's not. It's not yeah, nothing. Yeah. And when he was first asked about it, he said there was a 50/50 chance that they were like totally doing it or mm -hmm. whatever. In the hospital. Um, but then Just later, after right C.S. Lewis was dead, he was like, "Yeah, they were totally." <laughs> like, <laughs> right. C.S. Lewis is super into milfs. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I mean, he's got a legacy, but let's let's be clear what his <laughs> real legacy was. <laughs> he was a furry, loving milf banger. I mean, okay, here's the thing. It could have happened, and his, if it did... It, 
if it did, it's really not like it's the end of the world. I mean, at least he's not marrying his cousin, like <laughs> Edgar Allan Pover. Oh, for, for sure. I mean, they're both... Oh, it's, it's a fine relationship, trust me. We, but... I'm sorry, this whole Aslan thing is really... Honestly, I don't... Turn. I don't give a shit one way or the other. I mean, fuck it. He was an atheist. <laughs> I mean, right, yeah. And they have no morals. leads to fucking older people. It, it's just step A to step B. It's a, lo- it's a logical syllogism. <laughs> okay, so remember, like I said, C.S. Lewis is an atheist. Right. And his main reason for it is basically that if God had actually created the planet, sure. then he would have at least made it a place where major wars and diseases didn't happen. How dare him think he knows better than God? <laughs> yep. This is... Okay, sorry, I'm getting yeah. stuck up on this. Go, no, go no, I'm, it's good, it's alright. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where we're going to stop with C.S. Lewis. Uh, and when we return to him, we'll be talking about his adult life at length. Okay. All right. And and I want to I want to say one more thing before we go any further. Sure. Uh CS Lewis is a patron request. Oh. Yes. From actually a group of people who combined their patron Patreon account to give to us. <laughs> Who's this group? Uh some very dangerous people. Uh, uh um the Democrats. No. <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> uh no, this is uh, this is uh, Sally, Taylor, and Margaret. They all combined a account hmm. to give to us, which is great. Yeah, three months. So we're doing this for them. <laughs> well, we salute you. Yes, uh, Sally, Margaret, and Taylor. Is that right? That's that's right. You got it. Okay. Nice. You got it, buddy. Beautiful people. So, uh, why don't you tell us about Violet Jessup's early life? Mm-hmm. Well, Violet Jessup was born on October second, eighteen eighty-seven, in Argentina. Which, cool. uh, if you don't know, is some southern state in between Georgia and Florida. So I've heard. Anyway, <laughs> she was the eldest daughter of an Irish family. And in true Irish fashion, they had nine children. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Uh, also, in true Irish fashion, three of these nine children died. Jesus Christ. <laughs> but, thankfully, Violet did not. And thankfully, we're not covering one of the three. Mm. Uh, we're, we're covering Violet, yeah. So okay. she lived. Uh, but she did get tubo- tuberculosis. Man, tuberculosis. My, my tongue just stops working. It's that NyQuil and Jack Daniels, man. It's a real doozy, I'll tell you. It's, <laughs> it's a bad combo. Yeah. So the doctor was like, "Yeah, dude, she's she's gone. She's done for." But um, but fuck doctors. Uh, what? <laughs> because she lives. Okay. <laughs> that was big pharma talking. So she lives. Um, doesn't die. Oh. But her dad died. Uh, oh. He died when she was 16. Oh, that's sad. Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. So mom decides that the uh, she better take the whole family to England because it will be better to raise the kiddos there, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, but she doesn't raise them. Oh, she, oh. Mm-hmm. She jumps on a boat and works as a stewardess on a, a bunch of ships a-sailing. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I, I have to... My mind has to catch up with... My mind. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we, we can take a breather. I mean, you want to give it... I'm a, take... a good man. Okay. Good. <laughs> so mom goes off to sea to make some money for her family. And Violet stays at home in England uh, while she's attending a convent school 
and also taking care of her, like, five other siblings. So... Wow. Yeah, yeah, big deal. But then Mom gets sick, and she stays home, so Violet has to go work and raise money for the family. Now, Violet's about 21 years old at this point, okay. and she applies to be a stewardess just like her mom. So work on a ship, take care of people, you know, it's kind of like being a nurse, being a waiter, mm -hmm. just that whole, that whole thing. Yeah. So mm. she tries for the job, and they tell her no. What? Because she's too goddamn beautiful. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yep. And Whoa. we don't want the sailor boys being distracted. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but if somebody said, hey, we can't hire you, you're too beautiful, I would feel great. <laughs> well, yeah, except her, <laughs> you know, your mom and your siblings are starving, so you kind of need the job, but... I'm telling a joke, you fucking tool. <laughs> well, no, you're also, it's also true, because outer beauty is better than family. If you, have to, <laughs> if you have to trade it, that's really... I mean, you would know. <laughs> I would know, because I'm basically David. Um, <laughs> King David, that is. Except one who's been hit by a truck. So, <laughs> she, she agrees to dress in an unflattering way. Um, so, she'll look less beautiful. Okay. And she's high! <laughs> okay! So, uh, what, did she have to wear, like, a clown outfit or something? No, 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 no. The opposite. Oh. Yeah, uh, pantsuits. Oh no. Yeah, I don't know, but she's not. She's not sexy anymore. Okay, the clothes did the job. I don't know well, enough so that she's hired. So she's now a, a stewardess uh, on the Royal Mail line, which is a whole boat operation thing. In 1908. Ah. Mm-hmm. A good year. And this is where we will leave her for now. Well, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So shall we move into C.S. Lewis's adult life? I shouldn't keep drinking the steak well. Okay, yeah, let's go. <laughs> In all seriousness, what the hell are you drinking? Jack Daniels. <laughs> no, you're fucking not. Yes, I am. I, I will send you a pic right now. You're drinking whiskey on the air? <laughs> yeah. All right, hold on. I'm, I'm going to the kitchen. I don't know if he actually left. Sometimes he likes to fake me out. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> I dropped my earbuds in my glass of Jack Daniels. Oh, God. They're still working. Well, your ears will be very clean. <laughs> you know, I have to get it inside of me one way or another. <laughs> okay, we're good. I don't know if those are the preferable holes. <laughs> What's the difference, okay? okay. I, I stuffed a cheese stick down my left ear, and it's, it's <laughs> fine. It's fine. All right. All right, so go ahead, you fucking drunk asshole. Uh-huh. Uh, let's get into C.S. Lewis's adult life. Okay. So C.S. Lewis is a war veteran, Oxford student, and a big ol' atheist. Nice. Uh, but then it seems like God is coming for him because a series of events occur that push him back towards Christianity. Yeah, the old, the old cross and bones. Because Jesus died on a cross, but <laughs> but Christianity bones you later. So, oh my God! <laughs> so the first thing that happens in this series of events is that C.S. Lewis buys a book at a train station. 
Okay. Because you see, in a time before Netflix, it was common to buy books for train rides. Sure. This is, of course, a more primitive form of entertainment than binging Hell's Kitchen on your shitty Android, but it was a different time. People were simpler. Yeah. Uh, the book that C.S. Lewis buys for his train ride that day is a work known as Fantasties, and it's by an author called George MacDonald. Mm. Now, mm -hmm. I have actually read Fantasties. It is British as fuck. Sure. But it's an amazing work if you can stomach all the tea and biscuits. Um, um. It's basically about this guy who inherits a desk on his 21st birthday, inside of which he discovers an ancient fairy lady who was apparently there the whole time. After discovering... No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so on his 21st birthday, he's not going out to a bar with his friends. No. He's looking through a desk. Yep. <laughs> and out pops Tinkerbell, who's yeah. like... I've been in this desk this whole time, and now I will give you three wishes or something. Yes, basically, except it's a whole a hell of a lot more romantic than that, if you know what I mean. Oh, no. No, I'm just kidding. She's just an actual full-grown elfin fairy lady, and she, like, tells him some crazy, scary things, gives him a quest, and then his room sort of fades out, and he's in a forest. And gotcha. he goes on all these adventures, yeah. Uh... In, in the um, in the fairyland, as it's called, uh, the main character Anadas uh, is on a quest to find the Marble Lady, the Queen of the Wood. And along his journey, he meets with many different characters and often nearly gets his ass handed to him by the various creatures of the wood. Mm. And is once saved by a mysterious knight named Sir Percival. Sure. He's, like, decked out in armor and shit. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, the main character goes through all these crazy fucking places. He goes through, what, like, this... What amounts to Moria mixed with, like, a political rally? Like Yeah, so Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> so so he, goes, he goes through this cave, and there's, like, all these kobolds on the walls, like, screaming at him and telling him to go back and not go on, and, like, the mm. marble lady doesn't exist, and it's all a lie. And he passes through that, and he gets to a subterranean sea. Huh. On which he takes a rowboat across to a cottage with a series of doors leading to a different world. And, like, doors leading to different worlds, like ones in the past and ones in the future. All, all kinds of crazy shit like that. No, I mean, I gotta break it to you. I'm on that little hill that some people call drunk. And I, <laughs> I'm getting to the top, and you're really not helping. I mean, you're talking about doors and shit you know i, I mean, didn't i didn't make you drink the whiskey <laughs> i'm trying to get over my cold okay oh god well i mean whatever it takes <laughs> so anyway there's all this crazy shit going on in this book and it's it's a really creative book it's kind of a drag sometimes mm -hmm. um but overall it's a it's like a fantastic fantasy nice. um it ends with the main character teaming up with sir percival to destroy a cult okay. it's a good book Anyway, so C.S. Lewis reads this, and he feels like he's come in contact with something that reaches right into his being and speaks to him about a world beyond our own. Mm, macaroni and a, cheese. Yep. Yes. Uh, this is a concept that's not called macaroni and cheese. It's a concept that he writes about a lot. Uh, it's called joy. In the beginning of his book... <laughs> All right, uh, synonym, but go on. <laughs> so, in his autobiography, aptly named Surprised by Joy... Uh, it's a book that I've read many times. I don't recommend it to everyone, but I feel like I should because it's super good. Um, 
this concept is uh, this concept of joy that C.S. Lewis talks about is not limited to Christianity, according to him. Sure. Uh, his description of this feeling of joy, as he calls it, it really does. It's like it touches on something deep. It's hmm. it's basically this. When C.S. Lewis was a kid, his brother built a little terrarium in a glass container, and to Lewis, it looked like a tiny forest where something might actually want to live, uh-huh. uh, perhaps a fairy. Uh, and on viewing it, it struck him with something that felt so familiar and so warm that some kind of magic or divinity was in it. Okay. Um, and he was, he felt, in contact with something higher. It's kind of, it sounds like shrooms, really. Um, um, yeah, yeah. But, uh, so, this is this is a feeling that he said he's felt throughout his entire life, even when he was an atheist, just by the most random things, like the terrarium. Hmm. Um, and... After reading Fantasties, he said of it that it baptized my imagination. Hmm. Okay. So he had like a creative awakening. Yeah. Um, so C.S. Lewis also experienced, this is another part of why he went back to religion. He actually experienced what he all, uh, really believed to be an actual demonic possession. Oh, God. Uh, so when he was caring for Patty's family, uh, Lewis met with Jane's brother, John, who was deeply interested in the occult. Mm. And we all know a John in our life. <laughs> yeah, and so was C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. They were like really into magic spells and shit. Sure. Um, Who isn't? Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you sound really drunk. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> so John, uh, this dude who's into the occult, was also a veteran of the Great War mm. and had been wounded irrecoverably. Oh, God. And he was obsessed with, uh, with uh, contacting the dead. And during one of these, like, rituals or whatever, he actually had something like a nervous breakdown during which C.S. Lewis had to hold him down on the floor yeah. as he screamed out that he was being torn apart by demons and was falling into hell at that very moment. So, okay, so look, we've all lost at Monopoly. But <laughs> yeah. You don't have to. Uh, sure. It's a, everyone's different. Playing Monopoly is hell. I mean, it's not like if you lose, it's hell. It's playing the game that's When hell. they land on Park Place and they have Boardwalk, I've I've done worse things than what Patrick is doing. Or whatever is. John. Brother. John. <laughs> yeah. That's it. <laughs> okay, so this experience convinces Lewis that there is actually something like a spiritual realm, even if it was purely psychological. He thinks that there's something deep within everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And remember, still an atheist. Right. And around this time, he meets with a Catholic-ass dude named J.R.R. Tolkien. Never um, heard of him. Yeah, he's this guy who's, like, super about Catholicism. Like, mm-hmm. Christianity, Catholicism, those are those are his favorites, baby. Um, and this is also during a period where Lewis is known, like, around campus for being a, an absolutely hilarious atheist. <laughs> 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 Which I just love. <laughs> So like um, funny, just a funny dude who's yeah. Also he's like an a, he's like a funny and enjoyable atheist. He's like really good at like dishing people for what their religion. a concept. <laughs> Most atheists are just depressing assholes. <laughs> I think Ricky Gervais can be pretty funny. Never heard of him. Doesn't exist. Go okay, on. <laughs> so uh, at that time, uh, Lewis and Tolkien would go on a lot of wa- long walks together and argue about religion, and they had a grand old time doing it. They weren't even like mad at each other they just like had arguments and they enjoyed it it was like sparring yeah 
Um, and all this time, Lewis is continually reading and consuming the works of his favorite authors, including G.K. Chesterton, a big old Catholic, who wrote The Everlasting Man, which is a book I have read as well. It is very good, that is all. He noticed that all his favorite books were written by Christians, which C.S. Lewis said greatly disturbed him. <laughs> because, of course, he thought Christianity was stupid. <laughs> sure. Right. And it baffled him that all of his favorite and, all, by his estimation, all the best writers that he could find all had that one irritating thing in common. They were Christians. Sure, interesting. And to him, this is like, like, oh, maybe there's something to this. Um, but then one day, C.S. Lewis is on a bus going to the liquor store to pick up some vodka or some shit, and he has this sensation that he's, like, shutting something out. He's ignoring something. Or someone. <laughs> and he realizes... And he's an intellectual, like, he's not afraid to chase things, all right? He yeah. realizes that he can either open this new Pandora's box of mysteries, right? This feeling of keeping something out and let it all in or ignore it altogether. And like I said, for Lewis, any question like this does not go unanswered, which is why he was so into the occult, right? Mm -hmm. He was like, is it real? I want to know. I'm going to fucking do it to see if it's real. Yeah. So according to C.S. Lewis, he opened the fucking door and just let God in. <laughs> um... <laughs> basically, basically, just to try and let him make his case, and but this is this is like an ongoing process. Um, he's like, of course, he's also surrounded by Christians, so that's probably helpful. Right, uh, right. <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, so basically, he starts off by saying, "All right, I'm a theist. There's something out there. I don't know what the fuck it is. We can call it God if you want, but that's all. Like, hmm. I'm not. I don't believe in this Christian shit. Yeah. Um, you might call it pop music. You might call it Jesus. But there's something else out there <laughs> that is beautiful. And there's something out there, and it's Willie Nelson. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes on like this for two years. He's just a theist." Kind of like, eh, that seems more likely to me or whatever. Okay. Um, but he's the point is he's like he's no longer an atheist. Like he already crossed that bridge. Right. And he's trying to figure out what uh, what this God thing is all about, man. He's like watching the case for Christ on Pure Flix, <laughs> like, yeah. you know, just watching like, ha ha, stupid Christians. What? Wait, what if Jesus was a real man? Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. Liar, lunatic, or. The trifecta. Wait, liar, lunatic, or evil. Or lord. That's the one. <laughs> a liar, lunatic, or lord, yeah. Yep. Oh, that's, a, that's such a grossly simplified version of his argument. But, hey, we were raised Protestants, like, well, <laughs> used to this shit. Yeah. That is probably the worst part about C.S. Lewis, though, is that most people have, like, read the Chronicles of Narnia, and they have some quotes saved to their phone, and they never, like, read any of his real shit, which is, like, super good. And most of it, not most of it, but a good portion of it actually has nothing to do with Christianity. Like, he wrote, an, right. he wrote a literary critique called, um, oh, shit, An Experiment in Criticism. It's entirely about how to read texts, and it's wonderful. Well, yeah, and even his Christian works, you can find, you can find things that are extremely beneficial. Yeah, this isn't Francis Schaeffer, right? This this is this is not Francis Schaeffer. <laughs> Let's no. put it that way. Yeah. So anyway, another thing happens that sort of pushes him toward the arms of Jesus. Um, he got off a train one day carrying an absolute fuck ton of luggage, and he started walking the wrong way. Oh, so he's like worst. getting super tired, and on his little journey to the wrong place, he starts to notice how drab the architecture was in the modern housing all around him. 
Like, he actually got bored looking at houses. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then he turns around, he's like, where the fuck am I? And he sees the spires of Oxford behind him. And they're these beautiful, old, carefully crafted, not at all modern spires. And C.S. Lewis has an epiphany. Mm-hmm. According to him, in order to go forward, he had to go back to the past. Uh, because he realized his current life was like basically as boring as contemporary Christian music. Uh, <laughs> right? And that he needed some goddamn meat, son. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So he also realized that he was thinking about himself all the time. He was mm. meditating on his past evils, his current flaws, like, you know, all that stuff. Uh, Which basically, is bad. Come on. It's not good. It's not good. Uh, I can definitely relate to this. Um, basically, he realized that he was a negative narcissist of sorts. Uh, and he decided that focusing on God instead hmm. of on himself would cure him of this disease. Okay. Now, remember I said God, not Jesus, all right? Right. Because he still didn't want to kneel before our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ in heaven, who rules forever and ever. Mm-hmm. Um, nonetheless, he did feel this sense of impending impending doom. Um, like, to him, the question was, okay, he's, like, drunk in the bar, and he's, like, leaning over, and he's, like, looking at Tolkien. He's like, all right, look, let's just play with this, okay? What if God really did come to Earth and really did die for us? And Tolkien's like, that's what I've been saying all along. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's, like, considering this Do you want to like, join my youth group? <laughs> yeah. We have, we have treats. We got a weird, weird old dude who stands in the back and, like, plucks the bass very seductively during worship music. <laughs> you know yeah. who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. We've got a pastor who wears a cross necklace on the outside of his <laughs> T-shirt. <laughs> It's the real deal, man. (laughs) That man has seen God's face, okay? Yes. Top of Mount Sinai on his shirt. (laughs) So, yes, this is a a real question that that, that C.S. Lewis is considering. What if God really did come to Earth as a human being and had really died for him? And he was, like, up all night pondering this shit, like, trying to figure out the implications and... uh, Eventually, something changed, and here's, like, a... quotable from surprised by joy people love to quote this line and i recently saw a depiction of c.s lewis in a theater Hmm. and i knew every line because i've read everything c.s lewis has ever written besides the stuff that was lost and it was super boring but this is the part where like i almost got up and left because it was so overacted uh but anyway and it was so overblown but anyway so here it is From surprised by joy. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalen, which was a college at Oxford. Mm -hmm. Night after night feeling, whenever my mind lifted for even a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. Hmm. Yeah. So he took another step. He was like, all right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to just do it. Yeah. Yeah. He might have been a little drunk. He's like, oh, well, if Tolkien says it works, I'll try it. <laughs> uh, the Usually most- very good ideas whatever tolkien is doing you better do it too 
Oh, yeah. There's actually a little bit about Tolkien here that I'm really excited to share with you because I did not know it. Okay. Uh, so J.R.R. Tolkien and Hugo Dyson were the ones to deliver the final blow. Hmm. And C.S. Lewis officially became a Christian in 1931 after nice. two years of being a fence-sitting theist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, much to Tolkien's surprise, however, who, remember, was like big old Catholic man. Right. C.S. Lewis decided to join the Church of England. Yep. Which brings me to quote the following. <laughs> Away with your English religion and your baseless, meaningless faith. For the only rock it is built on are the balls of Henry VIII. That's the most beautiful thing you've ever <laughs> said <know>. to me. <laughs> So that that was a little bit uh, that was a little bit of a quote from something that was going around like like the Church of England was not legitimate because it was basically invented so that Henry VIII could get his rocks off with somebody else. Right. Um, divorced, so, beheaded, died. Divorced, beheaded, survived. Uh huh. So six wives. To, yeah. Yep. <laughs> we'll cover Henry VIII one of these days. So to a traditional Catholic like Tolkien. C.S. Lewis choosing the Church of England was like sort of like watching him pick a shitty modern remake of a classic movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like you were so close, man. I well, finally got you to watch fill in the blank. Shit, never mind. Well, and he, <laughs> you're good. You're good. I'll, whatever you say is good. Um, the other thing about Tolkien is he's not just an ass among Protestants, but he's oh, yeah. an ass among fellow Catholics. When uh, Tolkien's congregation decided to finally say all the liturgy in English, Tolkien was appalled until the day he died, he belted everything out in Latin while everyone else was going off in English just because he was like, no, Latin's the way it's always been. Latin's the way it should be. And Gotta love it. <laughs> yeah, it's just so good. <laughs> uh, so anyway, around the same time Lewis finally became a Christian, he had joined up with a philosophy group known as the Inklings. Okay. And this was a bunch of lads who just sat around in pubs drinking beer and arguing philosophy, which to me sounds like a great time. Been there, done that, yep. Yep. Uh, he made a few friends and at least one enemy in the group, and the enemy was a conservative and very religious type known as John Betjeman, uh, who was convinced that Lewis was basically a fake Christian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Sure. Yeah. So the first novel that Lewis wrote after becoming a Christian was called The Pilgrim's Regress, which is basically a Pilgrim's Progress-style depiction of Lewis's conversion. Hmm. And it turns out that ripping off a classic Christian text to tell your own story doesn't make critics happy, so the book essentially fails. Sure. I have a copy. You know how I said I've read everything he ever wrote? That's the one thing I haven't read. Really? Yeah, so okay. one thing I... I've read letters he wrote to fans. I mean, like, letters he wrote... I mean, okay, not all the letters. Shit, I've med, read maybe, like, 75-80% of what he sure, wrote. Sure. So, anyway. After writing this uh, and failing, Lewis begins his Space Trilogy, mm. which would have... Which... Uh, this is actually super interesting. I learned a lot about this. Um, but it would eventually include the books Out of the Silent Planet, Paralandra, and That Hideous Strength. Hmm. I recommend the first two to anyone who likes Lewis and can put up with a little bit of tedium, but I recommend the third one to everyone. Ah. Uh, and I won't go into it, and I've talked about it many times before, but it basically, it's about um, trends in science that Lewis found disturbing. In particular, back then, it was vivisection. Oh, they God. were dissecting animals alive, which is super not cool. Mm -hmm. uh, dehumanization, which is like, you know, people don't matter and all that shit. 
right. human testing, whatever. Well, uh, this, what the fuck was he talking about? It's not like we're going to get to World War II in a few years. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he was also basically wor- worried about that Jurassic Park shit, about asking whether or not you should rather than whether or not you could. But, but Aaron, hmm. they do move in herds. <laughs> Put that whiskey down. <laughs> It also contains a strong critique on academic culture and scientistic thinking, which is not scientific thinking, uh, and it builds a case for the preservation of morality-based thinking in the face of new and unpredictable technology. This is one of my favorite books of all time, because it's really, really lucid. Hmm. Yes, but that's it. I've talked about it enough before, so I'm going to stop. But here's the interesting part about the Space Trilogy. is At the same time, Tolkien was working on his own science fiction work. They, like, made a pact. They're like, we're going to get into science fiction. Let's just do it. Okay. And Tolkien was working on this book called The Lost Road, Hmm. which was a book meant to tie the events of The Lord of the Rings to a modern-day version of Middle Earth. Whoa. Yeah. Which is fucking cool, but it never got finished. So Frodo could have just taken a bus to Mount Doom. I mean, Frodo would have been long dead by the time they had buses, but, you Well, you know. Hobbits never die. That's right. Especially not when they go to the Grey Havens. But anyway, enough about that. Because do you know what time it is? I don't. It's time for World War II. The better of the World Wars, if you ask me. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And according to Call of Duty, yes, yes. And that's the only metric we measure it by. Yes, here we are again. Being 40 years old and having already been through one World War, Lewis was like, fuck it. And so he goes down to the station. He's like, sign me right the fuck up. That's right. Yeah. And they said no, because he was 40. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, he thought he'd be useful as an instructor rather than a a soldier. Okay. Um, But the army thought he would, like, other, like, be better otherwise engaged uh, with writing propaganda for the Ministry of Information. Fair. That's probably right. right. Which yeah. was, of course, the propaganda arm of the entire British cause. Shh. 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 <laughs> Only the bad guys make propaganda, okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the thing. It's like, do you think Lewis is really going to be writing propaganda for anyone, even his own country? Fuck no. He's interested in the truth, and he's an intellectual. You know who yeah. also fights Hitler? Aslan. (laughs) Yeah, actually, we're going to get there. Oh. (laughs) Um, So Lewis had no interest in, as he put it, writing lies. So he goes back to Oxford and instead contributes to the war effort by serving in the Home Guard, which is like town militia, basically, uh, and taking refugee children into his home. Oh, interesting. So there's a connection to the first book, The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe. Yeah. Uh, it's all about refugee children who discover a magical wardrobe in a desk that's provided to them by a fairy named Anadas. I don't know. <laughs> so it's anyway. better than it sounds. Yes. So during during the war, um, C.S. Lewis also appeared on several religious radio broadcasts to talk about things like meaning, the importance of courage in these trying times, and of course, Christianity and how cool it was to be a Christian. Sure. Uh, and many of these broadcasts were transcribed and compiled into a book known as Mere Christianity, uh, a book which I would only recommend if you care at all to understand how C.S. Lewis thinks about faith, 
Uh, it's very, very nuanced. Have fun. Uh, throughout the war, he did a lot of other writing, as writers do, completing The Abolition of Man, which was a book based on a bunch of lectures he was doing at the time. This book is like the essay form of that hideous strength, and if you prefer essays to uh, novels, read it. It's, okay. it's really good. Uh, and he also wrote a, uh, a book called The Great Divorce, which is an excellent novella about a guy visiting limbo on a bus flying out of hell. Um, it's pretty funny in a lot of places. Uh, and then, of course, he wrote the Screw Tape Letters, which everybody knows about. Um, these are a series of letters Lewis claimed with his tongue firmly in his cheek that he stole from a demon. <laughs> um, and his last novel was actually his most unchristian book ever. Um, it's called Till We Have Faces. And the less I say about it, the better. If you have an interest in nihilism, paganism, complicated narratives, the development of mere jealousy into tyranny, female-led stories, or anything like that, it's worth a read. You will be depressed when you're done with it. Actually, my favorite book that he wrote. <laughs> yeah, I, I know a lot of people who are like that. Um, and I, I'm no fan of the Chronicles of Narnia books for the same reason that Tolkien is not a fan. It's just like it's basically, you know, the Bible re-uploaded in a 10-minute rough cut. You know what I sure. mean? Sure. Yeah, it's the it's the BuzzFeed of Christianity. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, speaking of, what about the Chronicles of Narnia? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, that was his most successful series. I mean, it's what gave him, you know, made him a household name. And a great series of movies. Yes. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone knows about these, so it seems silly to talk about them too much. You can find collections of letters written to him by children, however... Uh, about how much they loved his books. Um, and I read a lot of these. They're, like, super sweet. The kids are like, you know, I was sure. really sad, and then I read about Aslan, and I thought I might go to a magical world, and then I found out, you know, discovered my imagination. And mm. he writes back to as many of them as he can, and he's like, oh. good for you. Keep reading. I recommend these books by these authors. You're going to love them. Yeah. You know, he's, like, super, super good guy. Um especially when it comes to fan mail. So in 1954, Lewis became the chair of medieval and renaissance literature at Cambridge, a position Shit. he would hold. Uh, yeah, I know. They invented it for him. <laughs> um, this is a position he would hold until the end of his career. Now, lots of people wrote to C.S. Lewis, and one of these people was a woman named Joy Davidman Gresham, hmm. who was a former communist Gross. atheist. Grosser. Yeah. <laughs> and was now a Christian convert. Good. Yes. So C.S. Lewis loved getting letters from her, mainly oh because, yeah, mainly because she seemed to actually be on his intellectual level. Hmm. And the two eventually realized that they kind of loved each other. Sure. They were like, shit, like, we're, like, on the same <laughs> frequency, man. Like, yeah. come on over to England. So Joy moves to England with her two boys, leaving behind an alcoholic and abusive husband. You didn't have to bring me into this. Come on. <laughs> So in England, the two enter into a civil marriage contract, mainly so that she can stay in England forever. Sure. Right? They're not, they don't even really consider it, like, the marriage, as you'll see later on. Okay. So then they really begin to hit it off, and the long, single C.S. Lewis seemed to have finally found love. Oh. But it doesn't last long. <sighs> okay. Shortly after this, and I mean like a year... Uh, after arriving in England, she was diagnosed with terminal bone cancer. Jesus. Yeah, it went into remission, and she lasted about three more years, mm. at which point she passed on to Narnia and oh. left Lewis all alone again with her two sons. Okay. Uh, of course, Lewis was heartbroken. Uh, mm. It was during this period of grieving that he wrote another book, a very, very powerful book, 
um, called A Grief Observed, where he documented his behavior after her death. And it's a hell of a book. Sad as absolute fuck. No. And it was published under a pseudonym because the writing was so dark and so goddamned not C.S. Lewis that Lewis was afraid it would color him wrong to his readers. Wow. And you know this book was sufficiently unlike Lewis because several of his close friends actually bought him copies of it <laughs> and told him to read it because it might help him get through his grieving process. That's... Awkward. Imagine if someone came up to you and told you to listen to we talk about dead people. <laughs> yeah, basically the same oh, thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's like, uh, that's that's super sad. And the book is like one of the most heartbreaking things you could ever read. Mm. I, I mean, and it's it's like, it's like balls to the wall, like everything. I mean, C.S. Lewis, like the guy was not afraid to like, to like, I mean, he questions his entire faith, like, throughout the whole thing. Like, right. again and again and again. And ferociously. Not just like, oh, God, where are you? He's like, fuck you. Yeah. You took, you gave her to me, and then you took her away. Yeah. Like, it, that's how it reads. So, that's why I like that book. And, you know, it seemed like Lewis was having a pretty good life up until then, and that just kind of kicks off the end. So, that's where we're going to leave C.S. Lewis till we come back to his end and death. Oh. I know. Oh, yikes. Okay. Yep. So that's sad. Yeah, it's a little sad. Yeah. Um, but hey, I want to get a little bit on your level. I'm gonna go grab a beer. Okay, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna mark it then. Alright, please do. <laughs> Sing us a song. Closet. I'm gonna rewatch or uh, I'm sorry, rewrite the Lion, the Witch, and their wardrobe. Uh-huh. And it, it's gonna be the same thing, basically, you know. Mm. Lucy goes into Narnia, uh, but instead of Tumnus, she meets a uh, a French fur trader uh, who's like, "Hey, have you seen any beavers in this here part?" And she's like, "Yeah, I've actually met a whole family of of beavers. <laughs> uh, they they can talk and they fight for good, and you know they're they're gonna help raise me." And but uh, yeah, I'll I'll give them to you. And so then she trades the beavers to this french fur trader who skins them and sends their uh their furs to paris you're in a weird fucking i'm gonna call it the lion the bitch and the wardrobe (laughs) you know that pun was used by that stupid epic movie oh no the white witch was just called the white bitch (laughs) it's not that funny no (laughs) it's like so obvious that it hurts but whatever Mm. The movie uh-huh. wasn't supposed to be good, obviously. Oof. Okay, so why don't you tell us about Violet Jessup's adult life? So, Violet Jessup is currently working as a stewardess. It's the year 1911, and now she is working on board the RMS Olympic. Oh, I was just reading about this shit. Really, were you? I was, literally. But in what In what context? Just because I wanted to read about it. <laughs> Okay, well, okay. you're free yeah. to do that. All right. No, you can't read. You know what? So, the <laughs> RMS Olympic is the largest civilian liner at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And one fine day, the RMS Olympic is out, just doing the shippy life, sailing the shippy way. <laughs> and this was just a day, no day in particular. Um, but let's, for the for the sake of simplicity, let's say it is the, the date of September 20th, 1911. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And the RMS Olympic, which our gal is on, remember, is sailing along the coast of England next to this English warship, the HMS Hawk. Okay. So you've got the civilian vessel sailing parallel to a British warship, which is fine. Uh, normal, everything is fine. Uh-oh. But then the warship starts turning towards the Olympic. Oh, dear. Now, the captain of the Olympic sees this, but there is not enough time for the giant civilian ship to make a turn to avoid the oncoming warship, which is just great news. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of great news, this warship, the HMS, uh, whatever I said it was, the Hawk, the HMS Hawk. Oh, the Hawk, right. It's like old school technology, meaning its front end was designed to ram into enemy ships in order to crush or sink them. Okay, so what pothead is driving this thing? Um, I don't know. <laughs> there wasn't any explanation as to what, why what happens next happened. It was just a, just a description. Oh. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know why, but pot kills. (laughs) So the warship starts turning towards the Olympic, Mm -hmm. and it gets closer and closer Uh and closer. And Uh for some reason, neither ship is able to avoid this slow oncoming disaster. Like, it's clear what's going to happen. (laughs) Right. And everyone's like, shit. Well... Buckle in. (laughs) Yeah, can't do much. So the HMS Hawk just plows into the Olympic, tearing two giant holes in it, ruining the propeller and flooding much of the ship's compartments. Oh, God. Thankfully, our gal, Violet, she survives. Uh, Okay. And actually, everybody survives. Oh. Yeah, so it's it's a happy occasion. Lots of (laughs) dancing and singing. And the RMS Olympic, although now looking like a floating turd, makes it back to (laughs) harbor without sinking. (laughs) Oh, wow. Uh, The HMS Hawk later is sunk by a German U-boat, so less of a happy story. (laughs) But, uh, you know... To some, the, the clanking of wrenches on the, the metal sides might be a happy sound. You know, we don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, Violet <laughs> doesn't discuss this whole event in her memoirs because, you know, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Right, I mean, whatever. She's got other things to say. Yeah. So, we're going to skip forward a little bit. Now she is 24 years old and she's working on a new ship. Okay. And let's let's just throw another random date on this. Let's just say it's April 14th, 1912. Oh, dear. Mm-hmm. And she's also on this boat. You may have heard of it, may not. It's called the, uh, the Titanic. I haven't, I haven't. Is that that James Cameron movie? No, that's Avatar. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's thinking a different of the wrong movie, thing. Different okay. Movie. Yeah. okay. Never heard of it. Oh, no. So, all goes well for the Titanic, apart from this little thing that, like, well, nothing of it, nothing goes well. It's okay. just a disaster. Yeah. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Iceberg, not enough lifeboats. Uh, James Cameron, I lied to you earlier. It is actually James Cameron. He was <laughs> he the iceberg. He did it. Yep. The he, perpetrator. He pushed the boat into the iceberg lettuce. It's just a disaster. <laughs> So the Titanic hits the glacier and starts to sink, of course. And Violet, who is our our girl and is a stewardess, remember, 
was ordered up on deck to show non-English speakers how to put on their life vests. Interesting. Which is a good thing to know when your ship is the Titanic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after she does this, she's eventually ordered onto lifeboat number 16. And uh, she gets on the boat, and as it's being lowered into the ocean, one of the Titanic's officers just thrusts this abandoned baby into Violet's arms. Just, like, oh. gives it to her. And uh, the lifeboat goes down, in, in a good way, not being sunk, but being God. lowered into the ocean. Scaring me. <laughs> okay, it's okay. We're not into her, her end and death yet. Okay. So she's on this lifeboat with 38 other people. It's, it's a big boat. And, uh, yeah, they're out on the ocean. Titanic sinks. Bunch of people die. But, you know, you know, you, you gotta cut your losses. Right. So they're on this boat the entire night, which... Think about this for a moment. You don't... There's no radios or cell phones. No. You don't know if you're gonna be picked up. Yeah, and all the all the pictures show, like, you know, lights in the distance and bright stars and shit like that. It would be fucking dark. <laughs> oh, dark and cold, and mm-hmm. you're holding this baby? Like... You're in the middle of what amounts to space at this time? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, there's that fucking prairie dog. How does that keep happening? Sorry. I, I don't know. What do you want me to say? Uh, Are you sending me a message? No. Okay. Never mind. So, eventually, the, the, the next morning, that is, uh, lifeboat number 16 does get rescued by the HMS Carpathia. Oh. And on board this ship, there are a bunch of other Titanic survivors. And one of these survivors, a woman, runs up to Violet grabs her grabs the baby that violet was given and just runs off without saying as much as a thank you probably the baby's mother (laughs) okay but no way to know violet's just like okay yeah you know i saved this thing but sure i mean a a card would be nice a gift card but fuck it (laughs) anything Mm mm-hmm yeah but nothing how about a little kiss Nothing. Now, now it's weird. Um, <laughs> but maybe not. You know, the British are weird folks. So, I mean, yeah. So moving on. Uh, another event happened a few years ago. that, Or <laughs> a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, it happened, happened a few years ago. And a few years later from the narrative where we're at. And it's called World War One. You, you oh. mentioned earlier. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Basically, this guy killed this other guy, and that was about it, really. I mean, the Austrian throne was empty, but it was an easy easy change in the throne, and that's yeah. where we are today. One thing led to another, and Varus! <laughs> <laughs> Haven't heard that in a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, World War One is happening, and Violet does her patriotic duty. And joins the British Red Cross to work as a nurse on the HMHS Britannic. I don't know why they added another H in there. Because they went from HMS to HMHS. Uh, his Majesty's ship to His Majesty's hot ship. <laughs> uh, I, rem- I thought I would remember why it was HMHS, but I really don't know. Well... Letters honorable don't mean ship. Sure, His Majesty's yeah. Honorable Ship Britannic. I don't know. The, we, we should get uh, we should get uh, Maritime History Pod on the line. We should. We should. He would yeah. know, but 
Yeah, yeah, yes. I don't I don't know what letters mean. So she's on the ship, the Britannic. Okay. And the ship is just sailing about, you know, sometime during the war. In Good. The, Aege- uh, the Aegean Sea, yep. And let's, again, let's just throw a date on here. It doesn't really mean <laughs> anything, but let, let's put on November 21st, 1916. Oh, I could say God. November 22nd, but let's say the 21st. Okay. Uh, but really, any date could work, uh, but... No, it, it actually couldn't. It is November 21st. The ship is just floating about, and then it explodes. Oh, for no reason. Mm, well, there is a reason. Um, Violet. I, God damn it, you're onto something. <laughs> Maybe. She's, is this a coincidence that she's been on three major ship sinkings? Ooh, okay. I see where you're going. You know? Okay, yeah. Maybe she's uh, maybe she's an Argentinian agent. Oh. Mm. Shit. Shit. And where did the Nazis go after World War II? The grave. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's that planet that the Death Star blows up to? Alderaan? Alderaan. I bet she was on Alderaan. No, she was on the Death Star. Tomato, she tomato. <laughs> <laughs> so she's on the ship and it explodes or <laughs> part of it does at least you're just barely holding it together yeah it's not a, not a, not a good place <laughs> you gotta beat that cold you know yeah it helps the immune system just Ugh. like war does so the Britannic let me just back up here it's a hospital ship it's a it's oh yeah, oh, it's a f- oh god. It's a floating hospital. It's got over a thousand people, including wounded soldiers, nurses, doctors, the, the whole thing. Okay. And it explodes, and it starts sinking really fast. The ship actually sank in 55 minutes. Uh, so just think of the chaos for a minute. Like... Yep. Crazy. Okay, I'm so you thought about it. it. Moving yep. on. So thankfully, Violet and... Basically, everybody on board managed to get off into the lifeboats. Uh, okay. The problem is, uh, the ship's propellers, as the Britannic is sinking, the ship's propellers start pulling lifeboats into them. Oh, no! And then chopping up everything into this bloody mass of splinters and gore. Ah! It's horrifying. And jeez, oh, Violet is on one of these lifeboats that's getting pulled into the propellers. Oh. She had to jump out and then swim against the current to survive. Jeez. Uh, but she she did. She was pulled onto another lifeboat and she made it out of there. Wow, she should have joined the Olympics. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. 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 Uh, people who should not join the Olympics included the 30 people who were pulled into the propellers and got <laughs> chopped up into some weird-looking sushi, but... Survival of the fittest, I mean... Yeah, yeah. And it's 30 people out of 1066. So... So, she lives. (laughs) And she actually wrote wrote about this later. And she... (laughs) I'm gonna read you the quote, and it starts off kind of weird, you know, reading it in today's political climate. Ah, okay, great. Something controversial to get us put on the map with Ben Shapiro. (laughs) Well, not who knows. So, she begins. Facts don't care about your feelings. 
<laughs> Somebody did an impression of him today, and I was really impressed. It was very good. Hmm. Okay. Was it was it just a piece of celery talking? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> it was a man <laughs> who looks like a piece of celery. Close enough. Yeah. Oh, all right. So read this. Read this bad thing. The white pride. <laughs> Great start. The white pride of the ocean's medical world dipped her head a little, then a little lower, and still lower. All the deck machinery fell into the sea like a child's toy. Then she took a fearful plunge, her stern rearing hundreds of feet into the air until with a final roar, she disappeared into the depths. Oh, God. Yeah, pretty eerie stuff. Yeah. Now, as to what actually sank the Britannic, we we have no idea. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, some people think it was a German torpedo, obviously, because this was uh, in the Aegean. Uh, some people think a German mine, but scientists haven't been able to prove it one way or another. And there are a ton of conspiracy theories out there, like, saying that the Brits blew up their own ship. Uh Okay. Why? I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't but know. It is, it is the British we're talking about, so it's not below them. Yeah, but, like, I mean, come on. Come on. Yeah. Do you do you want chips and fish, or do you want to kill a thousand wounded soldiers? It's So I just hit home on my computer, and now I'm at... Well, I'm not going to tell you what my homepage is, but... Oh, God. It's so... a prairie dog, isn't it? <sighs> Fuck. No. <laughs> it's not. Okay. Moving on. Anyway, despite surviving three ships that sank, or almost sank, Violet continued to work out on the seas for years after. Mm -hmm. She later married, retired, and settled down in England. That's right. Then one night, Violet got a phone call. She did. She answered. It was a woman on the phone. The woman Hello? asked. <laughs> the woman asked Violet if she had saved a baby the night the Titanic sank. Violet said yes. Then the voice said, quote, I was that baby. And hung up. Violet's friends thought this was probably a prank, but Violet firmly believed it actually was the now-grown baby, because she hadn't told anybody else that story. Thank you. So what the fuck? What do you mean? You call a person who saved your life and you say, I was that baby. And then you hang up. I know, yeah. So the sins of the father are the sins of the son. The mother didn't thank Violet at all, just grabbed the baby and ran off. And now baby's all grown up and is like, hey, thank you for literally saving my life. Oh, wait, um, no. I was the baby. Right. right. Not thank you. I was no. the baby. So but the real lesson here is stay away from boats. Hmm. Oh. Fair enough. That's all I have. For so her speaking life. of boats, mm -hmm. shall we talk about C.S. Lewis's end and death? Yes. Okay. So when we left C.S. Lewis, he'd lost his lady love and was just in shambles. Yeah. Uh, a grief observed. Uh, I'll never forget. Somebody told me. Was it you? I don't remember. Somebody went to his house from this era, and there was like a, a dark patch in the car carpet from like where he sat with cigarettes just burning. Oh, Jesus. And he was that was like, not me, no. Yeah, he just grind them into the carpet, because he was too depressed to get up. God. Um, so, a few months after Joy's death, how ironic, 
Um, Lewis got sick <laughs> and had to skip an entire term at Cambridge. Oh, God. Okay. It took him about two years to fully recover his strength. And when he finally did, he almost immediately got sick again. <laughs> and then he had a heart attack. Okay. And then he went into a coma. <laughs> he was in the coma for about 20 hours, after which he woke up, was discharged from the hospital, and went home. He was Great. still very sick, though. And perhaps realizing that things were steadily getting worse, he basically called in to resign his post at Cambridge. Mm. You know, the spot they created for him. Yeah. <laughs> and from here on, Lewis got worse and worse. One week before his 65th birthday, Lewis crashes to his bedroom floor and just dies. Oh, God. Within the very same hour, John F. Kennedy is assassinated in Texas. Um... No, I'm not one to cry conspiracy, but <laughs> well, two birds with one stone. The same day Aldous Huxley dies. Oh, God. Um, don't know who he is, but weird name. So maybe they're just killing people with weird names. John F. Kennedy's you know, not that weird of a name. <laughs> I mean, Clive Staples is pretty bad, especially if he's named after a dead dog. True. <laughs> Jackie, Jaxie or whatever. So what I'm saying is that there was some competition for headlines that day. <laughs> so not that many people knew he was dead. Yeah, yeah. So he continued to receive mail for quite a while. Oh, man. Um, and as for how C.S. Lewis is remembered, let's just say his popularity has dwindled very little. <laughs> True. Uh, among Christian communities, he's seen as, like, the total package. Mm -hmm. He's a great writer, ex-atheist, good with kids, and, you know, all the classic shit. Mm. He has his critics, though, which is to be expected uh, when you write about important things. Sure. And he was good about actually responding to his critics, too. Uh, there was one Professor Haldane that he had back and forth with several times. Oh, about. yeah. I've, I've read those tweets. Yeah. They're, they're brutal. They're brutal. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so personally, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorite writers, and not for the reasons you think. I really just like C.S. Lewis's persona in his writing. I'm not even a fan, like I said, of the Chronicles of Narnia. But I'm a huge fan of Lewis's attitude in his essays and more poignant novels. Not all of them. I think, mm -hmm. like, Out of the Silent Planet is kind of not good. Paralander's good. And that his strength is a masterpiece. But anyway, he's one of the few Christian writers that does a good job of not dodging questions and being honest about what he knows and what he doesn't know. Hmm. I like him for the same reason I like Orwell, Huxley, and Chesterton. It's because when you read them, you get them. No bullshit. No. no wondering what they're talking about, what they're after, or how they're trying to fool you into believing into something, in believing into some, something idiotic. Um, it's just them, warts and all. Right. It's almost like they're. This is just a journal for them. It's them yeah, writing it, down their own thoughts, not meant to sell. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think that's why these writers and Lewis in particular, just because we're talking about him, I think that's why these writers have staying power. Mm -hmm. I think that's why everyone goes, oh, read Orwell, read Huxley. You know, it's yeah. it's because these guys like really got close. They were close to something with what they were writing about. And I think it was just honestly truth. And by that, I mean, they were being true to themselves with what they were putting down. Sure. They were trying to bullshit you. Um, so anyway, that's, that's it. That was it for C.S. Lewis. All right. Yeah. Uh Shall wow. we go to Violet yeah. Jessup's end in death? I guess, sure. Yeah, mm. let's do it. So Violet earned the nickname Miss Unsinkable. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great name, but it's too bad that she wasn't nicknamed Undiable. Oh. Because she did die. 
1971 at the age of 83 due to heart failure. Mm. Uh, which, I mean, she's 83, so lived a good life. Right, right. Good life. And uh, she's been portrayed in a few plays and a few movies. Uh, she, of course, wrote her own memoirs, too. But she's probably best known for being that gal who told the ocean to go fuck itself. <laughs> which are my words, not hers. But same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed all of that. Shall we Good. head to the surface? Yeah, yeah. Uh, head on up. You got another bottle of whiskey up there, I bet. Oh, good. I'm gonna need it. <laughs> so, James, what are mm-hmm. you gonna do for the rest of the day? Uh, barf. Okay, good. Mm-hmm. What about you? Uh, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. Feel free to send all your hate tweets to WTADP Podcast. We will read all of them and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on Patreon.com. That's Patreon.com slash We Talk About Dead People. 50 bucks, 20 bucks, even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to convert an atheist. Uh, atheist? Atheist? Jesus. Helps oh, plural. Trem- all of them. Oh, costs yeah. a dollar. Okay. <laughs> costs one dollar. Mm-hmm. Helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson. Because, because you know what it says on that one dollar? In God we trust. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh, God. Our cover art, like I was saying, was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of sinking ships and giant lips <laughs> play you up. What does that sound like? Sinking ships? And giant lips. <laughs> Mwah.